how you doing? Uh, I, I mean, I think we both predicted a win after a, a somewhat bleak uh, assessment of the season ahead, but I'm not sure either of us had 4-0. No, and what a strange game it was, really. So, I mean, I in in a sense, I feel a little sorry for Chelsea. I'm never, oh, sorry is not the right word. I never feel sorry for Chelsea, but I could imagine that um, uh, Chelsea fans and players and or new manager might feel a little hard done by because for the first half an hour of that game they were pretty good weren't they hit a post twice post and bar slash corner of and um, they caused us quite a few problems at the back Uh, I think uh, Ollie and the team and apparently Harry Maguire had something of a strong word at halftime to try and sort it out Um, and uh, it was much better after halftime of course once United had scored, they were able to pick off what I imagine uh, Jose Mourinho's head was exploding about, which was their rather naive approach to things. And uh, and United doing a Jose, a Jose being in the Sky Sports studio. I didn't see it because I'm in the States at the moment. But uh, um, uh, I imagine he, he was not happy with the way United were mentioned to pick off his, uh, his former team with such ease on the break. Uh, but it just fell perfectly into Ollie's plan, didn't it? Yeah, it was it was interesting. I mean, for sure this was the game of two halves. Although in the first half, United had an awful lot of um promising possession, I would say. So not creating clear cut clear cut chances, but a good sense of sort of um enthusiasm and uh, endeavor in the final third and there was the one where um the but like they they were pressing Courtois, it was interesting. We, we should have a conversation about pressing in general. But Martial was was harrying Courtois when he was on the ball, and there was one where this really nearly paid off, where um, Martial in the end had like a really tame shot, which which Courtois saved e- easily. It was from the uh, Zona del Martial as well, the, just outside the yeah, box. Kepa. Where he's yeah. Um, or who, what did I say? Courtois. Courtois, oh. Courtois, the now ex-Chelsea keeper, uh, yeah, struggling two, at Real Madrid. Two, two seasons ago. But yeah, Kepa, um, uh, was, was, who's very good on the ball, isn't he? But he, he was not dealing very well with the press. So all I wanted to say was Chelsea didn't entirely have it their own way in that first period, but they definitely had the best chances. And that Abraham shot that rattled the post, well, both that one and the shot that hit the, the post and, and crossbar join, obviously, were just inches away from what would I think have been probably da- disastrous for United? Well, for sure, yeah. And and just within that period where they were trying to sort themselves out, and, and it was just a slightly... I mean, it's, it's the system they've been playing all summer, basically, 4-2-3-1, uh, with two holding. And, and in this case, it was McTominay and Pogba. I, I, it's not fair to say holding, but Pogba is sort of the quarterback and McTominay mm-hmm. holding a bit more. And... And this is clearly not going to be Pogba's favourite position and not the one where you get the most production out of him. But I think in the circumstances of United having not signed a midfielder in the summer and being pretty short in midfield and having you know, a dearth of quality there and trying to find the right kind of balance, it's it's probably the right decision for now. Of course, that means that one of one of Pereira, Lingard, who sort of swapped positions and or Mata will end up playing number 10 because they didn't sign Paolo Dibola in the summer. Um, so, you know, they're going to make a trade-off there, basically, because United are so short in midfield. And um, so anyway, it, it, it just meant that in the first half, quite a lot of Chelsea players were bypassing United's midfield or running past. And 
it felt like we were either outnumbered in midfield so they could create an overload or we hadn't quite sorted out the dynamic in midfield so Scott McCommonay was was uh, outnumbered fairly frequently and as a result they were able to pick which sort of flank they attacked down predominantly came down the right and uh, we may I think be talking about Luke Shaw as a weak link in this defense fairly often this season um but it, yeah it could have been disastrous for United because Chelsea created some good chances um with what possession they had um and and it was just sort of I guess poor choices in the final third sometimes that helped United a bit of luck with the post uh poor choice with Mason Mount um like sort of pulling it back when he could have made a better decision there and and uh, I don't know whether United would have recovered from being one or two down at halftime. As it was, that wasn't the case. And, and it was United that took the lead. And who, yeah, who, who and made I, the ball through for Rashford? And was it Paul Pogba or was it someone else? I can't remember now. Uh, nor can I, to be honest. Um, at that particular ball, uh, maybe maybe even it was Martial, actually. But anyway, I, could, I couldn't tell you for sure. One thing I'd say is, bar a few poor choices, United could have carved open Chelsea a couple of times as well. And they did force Chelsea into a position where there was an awful lot of players in the Chelsea box, which in the end paid dividends because of the because of the penalty. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. So I, I was there, which which was really nice. I only decided on the Saturday to try and go. I was able, realised I was able to and, and was fortunate enough to be able to go. Um, and I was sat uh, right like in J stand just outside the slice, which used to be the singing section. And we'll definitely should talk about that because that's a, a really interesting development that's happened. Um, but uh, so I was had an absolutely perfect view of the penalty and it looked absolutely nailed on in real time uh, that it was a, that Zoom, Zuma had like taken Rashford's legs out basically. And the ref gave the penalty. And then of course, this was the first in stadium VAR incident that I've ever been present at. And it was kind of interesting really. So all the scoreboards, there, there's an announcement over the Tannoy VAR check in progress. And for what it is for a penalty, red card, offside, whatever it might be. Um, and then at the end of that process, it says VAR complete and the decision. Um, and the, the lady announcer sounds a bit like a Dalek. There's a strange robotic quality to the voice, which does make it feel slightly like it's something out of Blade Runner, where you know, uh, a soothing voice making you calm about the decision. Um, but uh, but that was fine. And, and I'm not quite sure why it was referred to VAR unless all penalties are automatically checked. Not sure. Um, uh, but yeah, there's been this big information blitz. There was a big media day at um, VAR headquarters um, and friend of the show, Seb Stafford-Bloor, went uh, went to that and he talks about it on the TIFO podcast. You can hear a breakdown of the kind of messaging from the Premier League and they're, they're saying they've got a very high bar for clear and obvious error about everything other than offside, which is just binary. Um, uh, now... I think hmm. the Wolves, the Wolves game and that handball for the disallowed goal. I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Really. Anyway, but that's that's a whole boring conversation. But anyway, I think we'll be I having many to... boring conversations about this. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, look, it's a technology in its early stages, and well, I mean, you know, the actual technology of having a camera or multiple cameras and someone looking at it is not is not in its early stages. But like how it's been implemented and how players and fans and and the whole game reacts to it is still early, and I'm sure this stuff will be ironed out. There's like definite imperfections with it, and the fact that it's implemented in different ways in different leagues around the world, I don't think helps very much. 
I was in. Uh, I, I went to the Sound, Seattle Sanders versus New England Revolution, as I'm in Seattle at the moment. Um, not very good quality, but we've talked about MLS on our bonus content before. And there were some really odd VAR decisions there that everyone was sort of going, what, how, how, when, where? And um, including one where the referee had scratched out a goal for a foul from a corner and VAR corrected him and gave it as a goal. But they didn't show it on a replay. They show everything else on a replay and they didn't show that on a replay. So everyone was going, what the F was going on? So (laughs) it was really odd. And I'm sure we'll get stuff like that in England every week. And, and just for a while, and but everyone seems committed to this, so we'll see. On the binary, non-binary piece uh, on uh, with offside, Jonathan Wilson was making a point on Twitter, I think, uh, saying, "Well, hang on a minute, the uh, frame rate of uh, yeah of uh, the cameras is at fifty hertz or whatever, uh, and here here's the margin of error that means." And um, so, you know, are we correcting for that, and how are we thinking about that? And that was kind of. A nerdy but good point, you know. It's it I is near impo- impossible for the eyes to tell whether something's binary, and we've known that since the beginning of the offside rule. But also impossible for a camera, apparently. I don't know whether anyone and, actually pulled him up on that or or gave us any more insight or not. And the the thing about it is, within a season, the offside law is going to have to change because it the, the offside law has been like. Obviously, people get a bit mad about some of the specifics and the confusion about it, but the offside law has been basically fit for purpose, but it isn't fit for purpose if you're looking at one camera frame showing somebody's um, you know, knee offside by a millimetre and then you're chalking off a goal. At that point, nobody in the game wants that not to be a goal. Um, obviously, except in that specific incident, the team instance, the team that's conceded right, it. Right, because it's so, against the spirit of what we really want offside. Offside's there to stop people goal, not goal, stop people goal hanging, right, which yeah. would spoil the game. Not to, like, trade a very narrow binary decision about correct or not correct for entertainment. Exactly. Right, and, and that's the problem. I, I mean, I guess we said this before we were, maybe we were discussing on the WhatsApp group. If if this is about, if football is entertainment, VAR in its current format isn't really fit for purpose because it's spoiling the nice. entertainment. If it's just, if it's about, is was that correct? Uh, and or like, is it correct because the business implications are so big these days? Um, then VAR is closer to being fit for purpose, although I'm, I'd argue maybe not quite there yet. But I, I think the entertainment piece, it's not helping with it. I think, who was it? Someone said it took away the orgasm moment because, you know, <laughs> the, the goal is scored, but no one knows anymore. You know, you're always well, looking around to see whether it's actually a goal. We're going to be talking about, you know, some beautiful moments in this game. Um, and and they, they were beautiful moments that could suddenly have turned very sour under slightly different circumstances. So... Uh, the Rashford goal, Rashford takes his penalty, really cool as you like. Very interesting that Rashford is on penalties, Yeah, I thought, given that Pogba scored a lot of penalties last season. And missed a few. And he missed a, he missed a few, but, yeah. you know. Yeah, no, it, it, it is. I wonder whether when that decision was made and what it's about. I mean, I'm sure yeah. people will read too much into it. I, I'm pretty sure. But 99.99999% sure that United would not allow Pogba to leave right now. Um uh, this summer, anyway, you know, and it's. It, I wonder whether there's now a gentleman's agreement, which is basically okay next summer. Um, yeah, 
but yeah, why why is Rashford on? Maybe just to say, hey, you're now the main man. You're, yeah, you're... absolutely. And and there's nothing, you know, it worked. And, and, you know, we saw him against PSG as well. It's not like he's uh, lacking for, and he scored a penalty for England in a World Cup penalty shootout. So not like he's lacking in bottle for the big occasion, is it, Marcus Rashford? Yeah. Um, the, the, the front three, so... So let's just, I want to just talk about the, the first half a little bit more before we get into like super happy times of the second half. I think, you know, we know what Solskjaer is trying to do, right? He's trying to make a team that is comfortable in possession and, and you know, can be functional and effective in possession, but is essentially a really effective counter-attacking unit and, a, and, and presses. So... United's press was actually really quite effective on a number of occasions against Chelsea in stealing the ball back and generating chances and half chances um, early on in the game. But there isn't the sense that there are a bunch of clearly defined pressing triggers and this is an incredibly well-oiled unit. There's a little bit more of like what they're meant to do is run around a lot. And I do wonder whether we saw like Chelsea in the first half actually exploit some gaps in United that were created by a sort of somewhat insecure and not particularly well-designed pressing unit. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Because actually, if you see the way City and especially Liverpool do the pressing, uh, it is very, very specific um, who goes and when. And uh, I do think you're... Look, everyone, everyone made an effort to press like when you see Anthony Martial late into the game um pushing hard uh to close down um an opposition defender with a ball you know the message has got through right yeah and uh, and that was good to see and you can see this is what United want to do and uh Ollie was very clear in his post-match press conference that he believes the team is now fit enough to do this so we'll take him at his word on that and it doesn't burn out over the season um, so yeah, and and now it, they, it's about fine tuning those details, and we just got to assume that that is a detail they are looking at. I mean, it was kind of interesting that, like shape wise, beyond pressing, that you kind of had two pairs, didn't you? you had Jesse Lingard and Andres Pereira, um, uh, like at ten or the right side of the attacking trio. Um, and Marcus Rashford and Anthony Martial. Martial started up front and Rashford on the left, um, also sort of interchanging. Um, and it worked fairly well. I mean, I do wonder whether that, like, Pereira and Lingard will be there for the long term in this United side. Uh, I'm not, you know, you especially saw uh, some quality moves between Rashford and Martial. It looks like they're, they're, there's building a partnership there and either of them are very comfortable in those two positions. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, we've got this odd lopsided thing where so many of the attacks come down the left. Um, I wonder whether, first of all, like incorporating Greenwood or Daniel and or Daniel James on the right is going to make a difference to that. And also um, the realisation that Wan-Bissaka is not, is there and it's not Valencia that's there will will give us kind of more equanimity and we'll we'll spread that play a bit broader because what we have this the odd situation of all our attacks coming down the left but when that breaks down that's then leaving our most vulnerable flank even more vulnerable from a defensive position so you know because there, there is this sort of imbalance where the right side of our defense is much more solid at the moment. Yeah. Um, oh, and uh, I'm sure everyone will have um, a great deal of confidence in in Wampazaka one v one now. So, like you know, he just doesn't get beaten ever, does he? Defensively, 
He's got a bit to I mean, contribute it, in the attacking third, I think, and we talked about that a little bit last week, and I, I'm sure he'll grow into that. Um, but def- in, defensively, in, there's the, it's, it's you know he's a very mature player already. He put in an absolute peach of a ball once in the game yeah. yesterday, which was very made me very happy. But honestly, that's got to be one of the best debuts I can remember at United. Um, I mean, Maguire in the second half was imperious as well, by the way. Another yes, yeah. phenomenal, phenomenal debut. But Wan-Bissaka all the way through the game, like that guy just looks completely ready for the stage he's on. Like no, not a hint of deer in the headlights, not a hint of being overwhelmed by playing. You know, that's obviously like his first home game at Old Trafford, isn't it? And, and you know, it was heaving and a fantastic atmosphere and he just looked completely in his element and at home and brilliant. So I'm incredibly excited that he's playing for us. That's really exciting. Um, I, uh, I, I thought, um, in the first half, there was, there was one thing that was a bit sort of upsetting, Not upsetting is too strong a word, but one thing that's a real hangover from the last couple of years, there was a moment where Rashford and Martial were interchanging the ball on the edge of the area uh, on the left-hand edge of the area, and Rashford tried to slide a ball behind his legs, like a flick pass behind his legs, back to Martial in close space, and it didn't come off. And the whole kind of corner of the ground, and maybe a bit broader than that, was like almost getting on his back, like, whoa, what are you doing that for, sort of thing. And it's just like a 20-year-on-year-old centre-forward is trying to do something fancy in the box. Like, we should be giving him a massive round of applause for trying it. That should be the kind of cultural reality of it. But instead it's not, you know, so yeah. anyway, we, we know that's the case. But. Well, I mean, after the game, Ollie talked about the players doing some fancy stuff, I think, as he called it. And and look, there's time and a place. And I, I think in the attacking box and you're trying to break down a difficult opposition, that's the time and the place, isn't it? So I think that's okay. In the attacking third, if you're trying stuff and it doesn't come off, um, all right, because I think the safe ball doesn't always lead you to the best outcome. Sometimes it does, so it's just making the right decisions. Um, there were times when Pogba got caught out trying to do too much, I thought, and especially in that sort of quarterback role he's in, um, he's he's going to have to learn the balance between trying to find the sort of um, beautiful through ball, which, of course, he did for United's third, um, which is outrageous. 60 70 yard ball with the outside of his foot um and 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 trying to bite, beat two or three players which of course he tried quite often in a deep position in the first half and and it didn't come off really for him and he is of course outstanding with the ball at his feet in close quarters so you know united should feel comfortable giving him the ball even if he's marked um and uh you know and and it's, it's going to be a great bonus for United if he's playing in that deeper position that he can do that and it, because it will give United some more control, which we won't have otherwise. Um, but it didn't always come off for him. And maybe that's a little bit what Ollie was referencing as well. And of course, in the second half, when they didn't really try and play it through midfield very much and, and sort of just went very, you know, it was all about the transition and all about the fast breaks and all about trying to exploit space behind Chelsea. Then, then that's very different. That's just all perfectly set up for, for Pogba to play those balls into channel or through into space. Less fancy, I suppose. Yeah, and, and 
you know, I think we're going to need some of both, aren't we? Because in the first half, Chelsea did what a lot of teams will do against us, which is pack the box, pack, you know, play play a lot of, put a lot of people behind the ball and, and challenge United to break them down. Uh, because if you don't do that, you're in big trouble. Because um, even though I, I think, I think Lampard said this, but I think I, I I definitely thought it as I came away from the ground. In many ways, that that was not a four nil game in terms of rural performance on either side. Um, it was a four nil game in how absolutely devastating and clinical United became once they got on top. Once those once those positions were available to them, so the first goal came from like really nice work to create the opportunity, and then Brill cross from Pereira and a lovely, lovely. A uh, goal from Martial in the sense that he's wearing the number nine on his back and scoring a goal from inside the six yard box. Like this is exactly what we need him and, and Rashford, but we need them both to score more ordinary goals. Um, and he did point at the number nine on his back, I thought, uh, which was really enjoyable <laughs> in the goal celebration. But uh, the place went absolutely ballistic for that goal. Yeah. Um, and, and it, it, it completely changed the whole tenor and, it got really loud and I pulled my phone out to just uh, record a quick snippet of people singing an ole, ole, ole at the top of their voice. And before I could uh, get set up to do that, my phone was back in my pocket because I was watching a stunning counter-attack um, as Marcus Rashford uh, scored. Yeah, I'm glad uh, Martial bundled one in from close range. He, you're right, he's going to have to score that kind of goal because, yeah, you know, Lukaku, for all his faults, did score a variety of goals, didn't he? And and uh, we need uh, that variety of goals from uh, Martial or and or Rashford, whoever's sort of playing in that number nine role now. Um, of course, Lukaku at the weekend scored four for Inter. They were playing a amateur team, uh, but <laughs> I'm sure he'll do well in this league. We all wish him well, don't we? Awesome. Uh, I, I wish him medium, medium, medium. Um, a few interesting stats from this game, uh, just while we're uh, building up to talking about Daniel James' goal. Um, Chelsea actually had more shots than United. I, I don't think very many of them were effective because their, their XG is fairly low. Um, also, United's, um, United's, or should we say Chelsea's, passes per defensive action at six, um, uh, much lower than United's passes per defensive action at nearly at nearly nine. So in other words, United's press was far more effective uh, than Chelsea's. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we also did start olaying it about the gaff in the last, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of passes added to the number unnecessarily <laughs> at the end of that game. Good, good, good. They made us suffer enough over the years, haven't they? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the Rashford, the Rashford goal. Yeah. I mean, and, and that press was effective. It wasn't, it wasn't the kind of press that you think like this is going to really worry a top top team. Um, I don't think City would look at that and go, "Oh, we're going to have to think about no. how we use possession." And, here. and in fact, I think to your earlier point, I, I think City would pass around that. Um, yeah, exa- exactly. Yeah. Um, but it was very effective against Chelsea. And there were we did make their play break down on a number of occasions and generated chances and half chances from it. Uh, Rashford's the, the Rashford goal was a thing of absolute beauty, wasn't it? The the ball from Pogba, just the waiting on it just totally perfect and delightful. And, and, and there's and no give... one else in the United squad that can play that ball. I mean, Abs- just, just absolutely not. not. None at all, which, which kind of, I mean, I guess we're going to say this a bit this season, but to the people who wanted him out, 
and there's a lot of United fans, and they were like, I don't care, anyone. Um, where exactly were we going to get those kind of creative moments from? It, United, if we lost him between now and September the 2nd, I don't think it'll happen, but if for whatever reason we lost him, we would be in deep, deep, deep trouble. Yeah, and and I think we can almost say we don't need to keep saying that time and time again because it's going to be, I mean, it is self-evident already and the people that wanted him gone, wanted him gone, A, because there is a there is a lack of acknowledgement of some of the good things he does and B, people can't take the idea that being at United isn't the pinnacle for someone, you know. This is something people find very difficult to deal with. But anyway, and and there is this kind of perception that he walked through a bunch of games last season and that he turns it on when he wants to. But as you said last week, he's being aggressively professional at the moment and long may that continue. Um, but yeah, it was a beautiful pass. But, but Rashford took it fantastically as well. And, you know, talked about Martial scoring the kind of goal we need him to score. Uh, Rashford threw one-on-one with the keeper, putting it in the back of the net. This is very heartening because, again, given the way we're going to play this season, you would imagine that is going to be a situation which is recreated on a number of occasions. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And and if if what happens is that United don't always have the most possession and uh, are playing through the transitions, then we may have fewer shots than the opposition in many, many games, as was the game in this game. The case in this game. Uh, and uh, there's going to be a premium on those chances. And, and um, in games gone by, Rashford may have tried to do something different, you know, or he may have passed it at the keeper, or he may have tried to chip the keeper, and, and here he controlled it very well, nicely weighted in front of him, and the second touch was in the back of the net. Very nice, and, and, that- and he was delighted with it, and, and uh, well done to him. My bet for 25 goal. league goals this season. It's on. <laughs> well, it's a great. If he scores two every week, you'll be no problem. Um, the uh, It was notable to me that the first goal was celebrated with the entire team in a huddle in the kind of bottom left-hand corner as I was looking at it. The Martial goal was celebrated by the entire team huddling around him in the by the tunnel. Then Rashford's goal, the entire team huddled again. Um, and of course, then Daniel James came on, uh, looked lively, looked bright. And um, one of the more emotional moments we've experienced in recent years. I mean, you you could genuinely feel the emotion in the stadium when he scored. There was, there was a real elation and his reaction, watching it back on TV, you know, obviously he's been through an awful lot. He's lost his father, I believe. Um, and... Uh, you know, it just within the last couple of months. So it's, it's a massive, a massive thing to deal with, move to United and, and at his age, deal with a loss like that. And you could see how overwhelmed he was, but the, the team's reaction to it was was brilliant as well, I thought. And they do look like a very United bunch on the pitch. Yeah, a really great moment for him. And uh, I mean, he uh, his father died just in, 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 in the few weeks before he joined United right delayed the uh, delayed the transfer so um great moment for him uh, he was uh bouncing around with that one it's nice to it's nice to see United players absolutely delighted sort of echoes of PSG last season uh, in terms of uh, everyone getting together and loving that one um uh, beautiful break from Pogba played through didn't quite have the legs to sprint away from the Chelsea defense but picked the right pass and I thought for yeah. a Half a second, James had blown it. It looked like he was yeah, going to shoot, we all and did. he, he did. And, <laughs> and then, and then he got a bit lucky with the second one. So um, he's obviously aiming for the gap between the players' legs anyway. 
um, trying for the near post and ended up in the the far post. But uh, good for good for him, good for United. Yeah, ma- amazing moment because the, first of all, the Pogba chance. You you almost think maybe the chance has gone a little bit because he can't get away from the defender. But then he finds the ball perfectly. So you're like really excited again. And then James basically scuffs, like slips as he goes to pull his leg back. But, and then a few seconds later, it's somehow it's in the back of the net and everyone's going mad. It was, it was just absolutely amazing. Um, and yeah, a, a beautiful moment for him. So there's two other things that I wanted to talk about, about this game. One is a bit more detail about Harry Maguire's performance, um, which I thought was, uh, bordering on miraculous, like, oh my God, we're a different proposition. I, I mean, I, I everything that I said last week still stands, in my opinion. Like, I think it's going to be a real long, difficult season and I think our midfield issues are going to cause all manner of problems over the course of the season. But Harry Maguire is going to paper over some cracks, baby. Yeah, I thought it was great. I mean, just gave a, gave some nice composure to United's play, both both with the ball. He didn't try and do too much with the ball. Um, but in defensive situations, did everything right. Uh, really good numbers on um, clearances and assists. Uh, sorry, uh, clearances and blocks. Um, and uh, he can be really pleased with his um, his contribution. I don't think there are really any doubts about his kind of defensive qualities. He's he's obviously reads the game very well. Um, he's got plenty of pace just for normal defensive situations. Um, he's great in the air. Um, he's obviously composed with the ball, whether bringing it out or just starting attacks from the back. And the doubt about him is is whether United will get turned around when pushed up. Um, so and whether... have we got have we got a new drinking game? Because yeah, yeah, no, no, <laughs> exactly. But uh, that's look, it's the only doubt about it, and it wasn't the game to test that. Like you know, will he get turned around in in games where United pushing pushing forward and and the opposition is, is but, playing on the break but, and that he he wasn't tested here. He was perfect in everything he did and and uh, he gave United an awful lot of composure, especially when Chelsea were were pushing forward. Phil Neville on match of the day too. Who brackets side note said a load of absolutely infuriating nonsense about the Newcastle ownership that made me want to like pulled my hands into my television and like shake him and go, what are you talking about? You maniac. Like the, the horrible football insidery rank closing that happens when fans dare to have an opinion on ownership really did my head in, but he made a very good point about how um, Lindelof looked great as well in that game. And Lindelof and Maguire alongside each other are going to be a really like, they're a very mutually um, complimentary pair, aren't they? in terms of skill set but they're both so good on the ball Andy Brassel describing uh, Harry Maguire as a prince on the ball which I liked a lot yeah um, <laughs> um, anyway look um, <laughs> lots of positivity uh, apart from uh, your uh, rant about poor Phil Neville there we, we can also Honestly, talk, we can talk about other people uh, how, like the other brother as well in fact let, let us in the side since we've had a few sides in this conversation about United versus Chelsea um, Phil Neville punching down on John O'Kane on Twitter because O'Kane has called him out for saying nothing about the Glazer family. And O'Kane said some other pretty negative things about uh, United and or United, younger United players over the last couple of seasons. But um, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure it's a good look for Gary Neville, millions of followers, paid £4 million a year. 
by Sky, millions and millions made from playing for United. Interestingly intertwined business interests and uh, to be beating up on a former uh, United player who he uh, he he who he revealed details about their life together as professional players, you know, calling John O'Kane unprofessional and saying turn up for training and stuff like that. Yeah, it's not not pleasant. I mean, the the reason that like Phil Neville's thing was so egregiously offensive was that basically he was defending Mike Ashley's behaviour as Newcastle manager, which is so offensively ignorant. You know, it's it's it is this kind of um owners can do no wrong mentality that they have. Uh which you'd be interested you'd be I'd be very interested to know if Mike Ashley's name was uh, a little more foreign sounding how Phil Neville would be reacting to to uh to Mike Ashley's ownership. Yeah. Of, of any, any business interest there? Because of course Rio was uh, <laughs> A paid proponent of uh, Mike, Mike Ashley. I mean, maybe no Phil Neville is he... hoping one day he might get a, a shot in the Premier League, and it, that could be at Newcastle. Who knows? Uh, it could be this season. But the the, um, the it, he said he stopped just short of saying Mike Ashley's put money in this summer. He went to say it, and then he said like spent some money this summer, sort of thing. And you could see he was just about to say it and caught himself. Anyway, um, the other thing I wanted to talk about, which is vaguely relevant because it's about football culture is the new singing section um uh the tra the red army section in the stretford end so uh the singing section was in j stand which yep. is the opposite end from the the uh, the stretford end on the left hand side and some of the the denizens of that are, are very much still there um and that and that chunk was standing all the way through the game not singing and chanting all the way through the game but but you know making plenty of noise on occasion but uh, far away on the, I was sat right on the opposite end, but far away in the Stretford end, you could see a big chunk of seats uh, carved out in in the lower the lower tier of the Stretford end. Uh, you could you could see a little band of seats around them where people would sort of all gathered and like standings being completely tolerated there, and people are uh, are singing and chanting all the way through the game. That was the group of fans that were serenading Jose Mourinho when he uh, appeared at the window in the Sky Sports studio, but it was also the 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 bit of the stand that was generating noise all the way through the game and they've got you know some some guidelines let's say about uh, behavior if you want to be in there stand and chant all the way through and no filming on your uh, on your phone if you're in that section of the ground uh, so an interesting experiment and certainly from game 1 I would say probably more effective at generating atmosphere than J stand not because of the participants but because of the positioning and all that kind of stuff yeah um uh, I mean, it's good this one, good that it's in the Stretford end, two, probably some good rules around that. Um, and, and three, the goal is just to encourage atmosphere all around the ground. I mean, you want it to be as natural and organic as possible. And that has eroded over the years, as as we've been talking about for decades, it feels. Yeah. Um, and so anything that the club can do, and the club put out um, some interesting sort of data, didn't they, on decibel levels and that kind of thing uh, when they were proposing this uh, this new area. I, I think wasn't it proposed? It's actually going to move next season as well. Oh gosh, I didn't know that. I, I wonder if that'll get some 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 resentment because it seemed very happy with where it was. I think it's fair to yeah, say. Yeah, like it was going to move further towards the corner. I can't, I can't remember whether they ever updated plans for that or not. Um, just as another aside, I mentioned that I went to the uh, Seattle Sounders. Um, 
They play in this really big stadium, NFL stadium. Uh, so it's like 70,000 capacity and uh, it was probably about half full or so, I'd say. And uh, the, what do they call it? The Emerald City Supporters Sections, right behind one goal. Um, and there they do something similar where, you know, standing is encouraged, singing's encouraged and flag waving is encouraged. The, the, the only thing, it, it would feel incredibly alien in England because they have someone with a microphone and loudspeakers and then three sort mm. of people per section to egg it along. So it feels quite contrived. Whereas in England, what I think we've pr- prided ourselves on over the years and the thing that we're trying to get back is the kind of organic nature of the good atmosphere that happens. And one of the things that has helped sell the Premier League around the world and why owners are making billions and players millions, um, because TV rights are so huge, because that's what people want from the English game, not just the the quality of players and stadium and games, but also the atmosphere that is natural to England. As that's being eroded, that that kind of pulls that into question. And, And Old Trafford is... Honestly, one of the stadiums where the atmosphere has been eroded the most. And it was really, really, really loud yesterday, which obviously would beating Chelsea 4-0. That, that, that obviously helped a great deal, and I'm sure it would not have been otherwise. But, but even so, I've been at some games where United have won, where it should have been a lot quieter than that. And I would say the, the thing about you've you got to give up, not, I don't mean what you're saying now, but the, the kind of ultimate concept of it just being purely organic, you've got to give up because the organic nature of it originally came from the fact that you could stand where you like and you you are going to have to group together people that want to do this in an artificial manner now because that's the only way you're going to be able to get those groupings because you can't just walk around and pick where you want to sit or stand. So you're going to need to do something inorganic in that sense. And, you know, it's interesting because, of course, a megaphone, an ultra with a megaphone at the front of the stand is not an American idea, is it? No, no, no. no, Almost everywhere in Europe, that would be the complete norm. So so it's it's just where it's not I've never seen it in England. You know, and it's, uh, I, I think many people would regard it in the same way they might regard like gold music or something like that. You know, it's, uh, but I mean, it'd be interesting to see if any um, clubs try it. I, I can't imagine that uh, t- too many of the supporters would want to see it at Old Trafford. But yeah, um, megaphones, uh, in fact, loudspeakers and microphone for the main dude, megaphones for the other dudes and dudette in one case. Um, and um, and song sheets, which is yeah, I sent you pictures of those. Pretty pretty weird as well. Uh, and they, then they I were, did try and film, not knowing there was knowing there was a filming band, and got told off. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to go. Good. Hey, I'll I'll uh, I'll tell everyone about you. You know, honest. But, uh, <laughs> n- Don't you know who I am? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, so so anyway, I, I was speaking to someone that was in that in that section. They said it was absolutely brilliant, best atmosphere at Old Trafford since you know the nineties. Being in that section, and it looks better and more striking than J Stand. J Stand um, really suffered visually. Like the flags and stuff were amazing, but it really suffered visually when you weren't in it from how small it looked compared to the away fans who were so near it. You know, they're like they're, they're the kind of mirror image of it on if you're looking from anywhere else of the ground because of the two corners, the, the big chunk in the middle of the Stretford end, really, it looked visually very striking. And I think there's just a more natural possibility of that spreading out a little bit based on it being in the Stretford end rather than like at the ju- juxtaposition of two of the quieter bits of Old Trafford. 
Um, so yeah, so all, all in favour of that, obviously, and all in favour of United absolutely smashing Chelsea four 0 and our and Mason Greenwood came on, um, and it was it was it was just a real nice, lovely atmosphere. And although it wasn't a four 0 game in the, in that sense, United did in the end across the ninety minutes create you know more and better chances based on the those metrics of data than Chelsea just not by anywhere near a margin of four to nil um and and Rashford was clinical both for his penalty and his goal Martial got himself into a center forward position on the end of a cross from Pereira a, two assists for Pogba a goal on debut for Daniel James imperious performances at the back from three of our four. David De Gea made a few saves and didn't chuck anything in the back of his net. So that's exciting as well. So still hasn't signed that contract, mind you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But a lot of, a lot of really, a a lot of really mate and and a fantastic atmosphere at Old Trafford and a lot more optimism after that game than before it. So, so a lot of, a lot of fun all in all. Yeah. I mean, positives all round. New players had good debuts. James scored. Wan Bazaka and Maguire looked good. Uh, new striking partnership, if you can call it that, of Martial Rashford looking good. Um, the the questions are on Pogba's role. I think is it always going to be deep? Does he move forward? And if he moves forward, who comes in? We're do, really do you thin. really think? Do you really think that's a question? Because I don't think it's a question. I think by far the best use of Paul Pogba in the current squad as it currently stands is to play as number eight in the in the two. It It is right now. And, you know, that's what I was saying before. I think it's the best use of him right now. But it's a massive trade-off for him. It, it, we are going to get a situation where he does give the ball away in deeper areas because he's a high-risk player, you know? And I think that mm. is good. When you're The further forward you play, the more high-risk, uh, the bigger the rewards for playing high risk football, like the deeper but, you play, the bigger the trade offs become. And I, I think we'll get a lot of people who are like, "Why can't he just play it simple?" Um, moaning that he gives the ball away. I'm, I'm sure we'll get that impact. I don't care though, innit? Like they're going to say stupid stuff. That the, the flip side of that, of course, I'm not saying you don't know this, obviously, but the flip side of that is there's very few people. There are situations in which Pogba will receive the ball on our side of the halfway line and somehow have it on their side of the halfway line past all the midfielders in the other team, either by his use of the ball, by running on the ball in a unique way, using his body in a unique way, or or making a pass that other people couldn't make. Uh, which will tremendously benefit United. Um, so, so it's like the the risk that there's reward for the risk, even in the position that he is playing in, isn't there? In terms of transitions, yeah. I, I mean, I know obviously it's the the position he plays for France and and can do it extremely effectively, and it's it's the kind of role he got praised for after the World Cup, you know. So, um, uh, by everyone, bar Graham Souness. Um, and so, look, he can he can obviously do it to a, a very effective level, and the choices between Matic and Fred there instead are not good ones, are they? So, you know, he's going to have to do that. Um, there's another trade-off further forward, of course, which is, you know, which was kind of wider point I was making about, you know, the questions being Pogba's role and the questions being the number 10 role, because I'm not sure, I don't honestly know yet whether Andreas is going to make it. I'm not sure what he's about, really. Um, he plays sort of mostly off the right-hand side, but sometimes drifting into 10. And and the same with Lingard, really. And we know more about what Lingard's about, and he's not a classic number 10, foot on the ball, 
spraying the ball around, creating chances. <laughs> is he? He's he's what you want Lingard to do. He's going to play there. Is making those third man runs and getting into the box and scoring goals like he didn't do last season. He did the year before. That's what we need if Lingard's going to play there. I'm trying to work out if he said not a classic number ten last week. I think yeah, he must have done, probably. But he, he definitely. You're just going to call me out on every time I uh, make a point. <laughs> it's just only uh, no, not when you make a point. Only when you, uh, do, you know, the the. It, I tell you what, not a classic number ten is an absolutely classic headline at this point. It's it's become ingrained in the culture. Um, is that right? Um, uh, and the then, thing... then the final question, of course, is like on that right hand side, um, because Andreas, for all his talent, isn't quick, is he? And and so it looks a bit imbalanced. And I, I mean, I guess the 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 goal is to integrate Mason Greenwood at some point. Awful lot of pressure on a seventeen year old to throw him in straight away. And or Daniel James, who um who has different challenges, you know, insanely quick, uh, not very mature using the ball yet. So whereas whereas Mason Greenwood is pretty mature using the ball, just not very mature. Um so question marks there as well. Yeah, I, I, I wonder whether the answers to these questions are inextricably linked, because I think, you know, uh, Greenwood, Martial and Rashford and then Lingard at number 10, you don't need Lingard to be a <clears throat> classic number 10 at that point. In fact, Lingard being the kind of his almost primary role being as a defensive number 10 in the sense of like breaking up opposition attacks before they start and then t- getting turnovers high up the pitch. We know he can do that. And we know that his interplay is kind of quick passing with the strikers around the edge of the box. That he really can do. And you've got Pogba to kind of quarterback behind him in terms of like through balls and all that sort of stuff. So I think there is a, there is a, there is a kind of balance waiting to happen. If you've got Pogba next to an actual holding midfielder with Lingard ahead of them with options in all three directions ahead of him, I think then, then you sort of, if it's whether that's James's pace or Greenwood's guile, um, then, then you really may be onto something pretty special. Not, not like as in we're going to win the league, but we're going to have more, more days like yesterday where, a lot of fun gets had. True, and I, th- I think we will. I mean, as we were we were chatting on the Rankast WhatsApp group, the famous Rankast WhatsApp group, which people are always <laughs> asking to be part of, can- cannot be bought. Uh, <laughs> I'm afraid, and it wouldn't be worth <laughs> it to you either. Yeah, exa- exactly. <laughs> like there's just me and Ed and Tom talking about when we're going to record. Talking. <laughs> yeah, I just wonder whether United will do very well against teams who come to play against us. Um, yeah. Uh, but aren't quite of the elite quality and we'll break that down um, uh, in the transition Um, and we'll struggle just a little bit against those teams that can pass around us from the back and and that may only be Spurs, City and Liverpool you know who knows and and if teams really park the bus and really pack the defence which Chelsea did at times but really not for the entire game uh, and certainly not when they were trying to chase it um, then, then there's a question there. You know, can we? Is it? What is the plan B? No longer. Let's launch it to Fellaini. But can we think of another way of breaking this team down that isn't about the transition? Then there's then there's a question there, and that may be the time that it's worth pushing Pogba further forward. I could not agree more with that. I 100% because last week, you know, we joke all the time on this show about like we moan about United for an hour and then predict a two 0 win, but. Last week, we did moan about United all the way through, I think, correctly, and then predicted a win. But the, in 
it, this was not just the, the standard blind, we're going to win the game optimism. This was, I think I said these exact words, but Chelsea's weaknesses are a good match for our strengths. And that's kind of exactly what this game brought to bear because when Chelsea did pack the defence in the first half, actually United really did struggle. And there was there was a lot of attempts at opening them up. But... There's the talent there between Greenwood, Martial, Rashford, Pogba, Lingard, and then, you know, the the kind of supporting cast. There is the talent there to do it if they're, they're kind of given a platform. And, and you know, I think Maguire and Wan-Bissaka being in the, in the back, in the defensive lineup makes so much difference to how much they can commit bodies forward on, in, when they're, when they're up against really sticky and, sure. and, uh, competitive defences. So. And of course, when we come to January, um, uh, the club has been briefing that uh, they will continue the rebuilding job in the January transfer market <laughs> and or they're still looking for a director of football. So if we're still short, <laughs> no problem. We're going to go out and buy all the players in the world. So, I mean, we are 100% looking forward to Edward Wood's briefing that the January transfer window is not a great time to buy players, it's, it's right? It's just, I mean, the, 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 the briefing that United was still looking for a director of football coming on transfer deadline day was so, so predictable. I mean, I don't think you could have put a bet on that because it's a bit intangible, but it was just so predictable. And as is that briefing that it's really hard to buy players in the January window. Anyway, whatever. Absolutely. That was last week's podcast. Should we take some questions? Yeah. Because you Yeah, know, let's do it. The we, good we didn't do that folk, last week. Yeah, we didn't last week. Uh, we have got some today. Dan Brown, that's at Swan, 294976. I don't know what that refers to. Have we finally found Phil Jones' best position? <laughs> not even in the squad. Smalling, Jones, Rojo, not in the squad. Twanzebe on the bench as backup centre-back. Love, you love to see it. I do. What the f*** were the club doing, not selling any? I mean, we've got Smalling, Jones, both fit, by the way. Rojo, also fit, amazingly. Um, uh, Baye won't be fit for several months. Uh, and Damian, not needed at the club, and we couldn't get rid of them. Apparently... The trans- the- surely surely the transfer window still being open in Europe means that a, a move to... I mean, Damian and Rojo in particular, you'd think... Could, could, maybe we could get still. out in the next few weeks, and I hope they're working on it because they're not going to play very much. So, um, Smalling or Jones, maybe you'd want to keep one of them. Uh, and pr- I presume Smalling, not Jones. Um, but yeah, I, can you really see Phil Jones on the continent? Yeah, I can actually. Think I don't. I don't see any reason why not. I mean, Finnish football you know. is calling you, Phil. <laughs> I think he, he could do a job in the Eredivisie, couldn't he? Yeah. All right, big red slab head. Nice, nice. <laughs> song. Maguire song got a lot of traction it yesterday. Did. Lots of it traction did. for the Maguire song. Nice. Uh, how many points will United win the league by this year? <laughs> well, if That's we the under-23 league, is it? If we win 4-0 every week, we're going to lose the league on goal difference to City because they won 5-0, annoyingly. Very nice. Uh, Lucas underscore M United. Oh, friend of the old show, time, says. Old-time friend of the show. Yeah, it says it's not clear to to see that top four will be the priority at United over challenging for the title, considering the lack of investment in midfield. Am I reading that wrong? 
Um, I don't know why. You, I, I love you, Lucas, but Ed, I'm not sure why you did read it. No, let's cut that one out. It didn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Tom. I, I, well, I kind of wanted to say, why did you pick that question, Ed? Well, I just I started reading it because I recognise the name. <laughs> Tony at Green and Gold Army on Twitter says, Harry Maguire or Steve Bruce, not meant to be easy. I mean, actually, I think this one is easy because I know Steve Bruce had a an awesome career for United, uh, but he was of a different age. And uh, I think Harry Maguire is Steve Bruce with a good first touch. <laughs> so what we're saying is Harry Maguire in 30 years time is going to be managing some forlorn uh, club that hate him. Yeah, dear. Steve Bruce, how long do you reckon he's got before he's fired? Well, he might not be fired because... Who else would take Ashley, the job? Yeah, Ashley literally doesn't care. So, you know, it's fine. I mean, he was hired. So if you hire Steve Bruce, you can't then fire him for being Steve Bruce. It seems terribly unfair. True. The Torch, Man United Toronto, says, give me your most positive take on United's fortunes this year, the best possible scenario. Go for it, Paul. I mean, the best possible scenario is that City are banned because of how evil they are. Um, Liverpool implode and um, Spurs... Spurs finish third just because that's their destiny at the moment and we somehow uh, coalesce into a magnificent uh, goal-scoring machine. But I I think the, the best possible scenario, discounting the utterly ridiculous, is that we really stick around um, until as late in the season as we can, not necessarily. I, I, th- I think the idea of a genuine title challenge for Manchester United is beyond ridiculous. I mean, you know, th- the bookmakers do not just make a team 40 to 1 because they're not doing very well. You know, the, the 40 to 1 to win the league means that if the league's played 41 times, United are expected to win it once by the bookmakers. So so I don't think the title challenge is in, is in the picture. But I, I would say it is not beyond the realms of any kind of possibility that United could finish third this season. Yeah, I mean, I, I look, City... City will be impacted by Sane's injury and the fact that they didn't sign a central defender. Uh, but I would still... Imagine they're going to get well into 90 points. Liverpool didn't strengthen. They might regret that. Uh, and and they've lost Alisson for a few weeks. Um, and we talked about them uh, over-indexing on their ex- expected points last season. So maybe they slip back to the early 90s. But I wouldn't imagine if a disaster <laughs> hits them that it's going to be much worse than that. Spurs strengthen. Uh, and they strengthen with two very good players. And... Uh, uh, and the belly had a good game at the weekend, scored a very nice equaliser, didn't he, before Spurs went on to win. Um, uh, made a few mistakes, but, you know, he's a young player as well. I, I, I don't expect them to get a lot worse, even though they're Spurs. So it's hard for me to paint a realistic, even if positive, picture of United making third. Guess it could, I, I mean, ha- guess it could happen. But uh, I think the best, the, you know, the best realistic scenario is comfortable fourth, not in a dogfight with Arsenal and Chelsea all season for that spot. What I want is for some, a Congolese person to tell me how to pronounce Ndombele because in, if it was Zimbabwean, his name would be Ndombele, but everyone calls him Ndombele. And I want to know if that's a correct pronunciation or just people pronouncing a name they find difficult to read wrong. 
So if somebody Congolese could tell me, thank you, I would appreciate that. You can find me on Instagram or by emailing paul at unitedrant.co.uk. All right. I'll, I'll have a check how many listeners we have in um, the Congo. There's, there's, we, we, maybe we don't have so many people in the Congo, but there is a, a substantial Congolese diaspora around the world. There, there is. Um Frank Sidekick says, my question, which commentator has or had the most irritating pronunciation of Solskjaer? Yeah, they... they <laughs> Solskjaer. I, I should... Um, I, I work Brian with someone Moore. Norwegian who um, who uh, always surprises me with uh, pronunciations of all things Norwegian, so I should uh, I should get a very correct pronunciation of this one. It's, it's weird that I just was talking randomly about pronunciation when that question came up. Um, I, I would say that Brian Moore, who... Never said it the same way twice. <laughs> yeah, uh, he, he would pronounce it all kinds of different ways. I, I still, uh, I, I thoroughly enjoy. This is a slight aside. I thoroughly enjoy Ollie's press conferences for his Norwegian tinged mank, and I think it is that way round now. Um, uh, and uh, it's it's just cracking. It's it's brilliant at, um, accent he's got. Uh, so I'm not even sure he'd pronounce his own name right now. <laughs> Dang. Dang Luang on Twitter says, should we just give Maguire the captaincy now? That's an interesting one because David Hayer, of course, was captain at the weekend. Still not signed that contract, Dave. I don't think you should be rewarded before putting pen to paper. Just a thought. Friend of the show, uh, Mo Butt, um, writer at Squawker, and it said to me, Maguire is going to be United captain next season, right? And I said to, I replied to him after one game, I think it's nailed on. And he thought I was being sarcastic, but after one game, I think it's nailed on that Aaron Maguire is going to be United captain. But I did once say that about Phil Jones, so been wrong before, been burned before. I was thinking about that with Juan Bissaka actually, because I remember Matteo Darmian being amazing in his first three games for United. So long way to go before the the captaincy is actually official. Yeah, I mean. Ashley Young is club captain, but we're hoping not to see him on the pitch very often this season. So we will see. Out of context bandwagons, it's uh, bifurcated on Twitter for all you know, says, how would a friend be able to listen to bonus content for free? Not me, a friend who looks and sounds like me, but is not me. (laughs) I mean, genuinely, in the case of any of the three people behind that particular glorious account, um, just ask me, obviously, you idiots. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you wouldn't want it anyway. Um, anyway, uh, we have hundreds of questions. Well, not hundreds, but quite a few, and more than we can get through because we've already been talking for an hour. So we better call it a day there. Apologies to anyone who didn't get their question asked. Uh, we'll try and do more next week. Uh, we should talk about wolves briefly. Uh, yeah, or well, maybe not so briefly, given that they uh, this is going to be a, a really, really serious test for United. Um, I, I think this is going to be a much, much harder affair than the game against Chelsea at home. Wolves opened up their Premier League um, account with a, with a trip to Leicester. Le- Leicester and Wolves definitely and firmly in the same mini league uh, at the moment, and and not not a brilliant game. Neither neither team able to be be able to create much in the in the way of really good chances, although. I mean, I, d- I do think in the end, Wolves were quite unlucky that that goal didn't stand. Uh, I can completely understand why it didn't, because you can't say that the the other attacking player had his arm in a in a natural position or a natural silhouette or whatever the heck the rule is now. But the kind of inglorious intersection of um, the uh, decisions of the, well, the influence of the video assisted referee and the new handball rules 
probably the only reason that Wolves didn't win that game. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, it is going to be a really interesting mini league between these two um, Wolves. And Everton, I guess. And, and Everton, yeah. W- Wolves didn't... Um, I mean, they brought Yuri Tielemans... Uh, sorry, Leicester brought Yuri Tielemans in. Wolves didn't strengthen an awful lot over the, um, over the summer. Um, they brought Patrick Petron in from Italy, who's who's a very talented younger player, and I think a lot of people were very surprised that he was allowed to leave Milan. Um, who's who's going to be an interesting um, addition for them? And they uh, they uh, made uh, Raúl Jiménez's contract permanent at great expense, and then they've got a lot of you know very talented younger players. I think they're they're going to be a very very good side this season. Um, whether they've made a you know step on from where they were is a, is a question and then Leicester um so they did bring in Yuri Tillemans who's a very good player and had done very well for them in the second half of last season lost Maguire and didn't replace him in the end because they were quoted ridiculous amounts for potential replacements so you know net net um are they better or worse be interesting there but yeah the, these two will both be chasing seventh and and you know a fantastic season from either could get them a place higher than that yeah absolutely if one of us or Chelsea or Arsenal really struggle which is entirely possible um I guess it's pretty unlikely that Arsenal will given given their forward line but um uh, on, on Wolves you you could say that they were one of the teams that doesn't have a desperate need to strengthen. They've they've kept everyone, which is which is really what they they kind of would have I'm sure wanted to wanted and needed to do. They're they're going to play Jimenez and Jota up front. You'd imagine Catroni scored ten goals the season before last. Only three league goals last season, which I was I was surprised to see. Um, but yeah, their, their midfield is going to cause us all kinds of problems, and this is going to be a game which really tests that slightly um, eccentric, random-looking press. I, I don't think we'll get nearly as much joy out of the high press in this game as we will against Wolves, and I, I, I was we did against Chelsea. Sorry, and I wonder whether we'll see a much more a performance much more akin to that second half performance from the off, where we're actually really setting this game up to defend deep and, yeah, and we'll hit see. them on the break. Yeah. I mean, uh, of course, they. I mean, if we assume that Wolves go with the same system they played at the weekend, so three at the back, um, uh, that gives them an extra man in that defensive area to play around the press, which does matter. Uh, and then they're three in midfield of Dendonka, Moutinho and Neves. I mean, you'd take that straight away, wouldn't you? hundred <laughs> percent. Uh, like I mean, no doubt you, that's... You wouldn't want to lose Pogba, but um, um, Andreas and or Lingard... Uh, plus McTominay, uh, you know, look like weak links in this comparison, don't they? Yeah, no, no doubt. You would like the average level of quality of Wolves's midfield is considerably higher than ours, and 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 given that they're they're going to play a front two, who you'd imagine would be a, a proper handful for our back two. I just, you know. <laughs> Like I said last week, styles make fights and it's very optimistic about the way we match up against uh, Chelsea and I thoroughly enjoyed what actually happened, sort of beyond our wildest dreams. But uh, this one, uh, I, I think we're going to get beaten and I wouldn't be surprised if it's quite comfortable, to be honest. And we've obviously got a lot of talent and maybe our one-to-one individual defending will be strong enough to to offset the errors and maybe we'll catch them on the break early. And I think if we do catch them on the break early, then then all bets are off. But I think unless we've scored within the first sort of half an hour of this game, I think it could be a very long, a long Monday evening in the black country. 
negative Nancy. Jeez. Jeez. I mean, they did beat us twice last season, so maybe it's just quite, yeah. quite realistic. Yeah. I mean, will we have learned anything from those games? I mean, we were in the middle of, of a downturn in form, weren't we, when we got beaten twice by Wolves um, last season. And right now, uh, there's some momentum behind United, winning all those summer games and winning on the first day of the season. Um, better defensively, obviously, than we will have been at the same time last season. Also an opportunity if they do play through at the back. And it's still a kind of if, I guess, because they didn't shape up that way against us last season. To play behind their um, their two uh, wider defensive players, uh, Doherty and Johnny, um, and and get players into the channels, which you know, which we will certainly do on the left hand side. So uh, Martial and Rashford could have some real joy there if we can find the right yeah. passes and if we can get the ball in up the midfield. Yeah, absolutely. And um, that's unfortunately uh, why I'm predicting a loss in this game. I'm going to predict a. Uh, I think I'm going to predict a two nil loss. Sadly. Oh. oh no, no. I'm going to be more positive than that. I think a one all draw for United. Um, on the road, more solid defensively, and and uh, you know p- picking, creating some chances on the break. Okay, lovely. Um, well, I uh, obviously hope that um, I'm completely wrong about this. Um, but this is this is part of my commitment to the season of fun, which is I uh, don't really care. Like honestly, if we'd lost that game against Chelsea, I would not be going on and on and on about how rubbish we are. I'd be talking about what a fun game of football it was because that first half was mad. It was end-to-end and really, like, enjoyable, uh, although tense, obviously. And the second half was just, like, ridiculously dreamland delightful. Um, and uh, thanks very much to friend of the show, Jay Motti, for sorting me out with uh, the ability to go to that game. It was, was very, very nice. Um, and you can catch my thoughts on the game and the immediate aftermath of it on Full Time Devils. Um, and yeah, otherwise you can catch us here same time next week. I think we're gonna we're gonna record the day after the Wolves game, so it'll be a bit later in the week next week. Um, uh, but yeah, thank you very much for listening to another show, Ed. It's been a fun one, hasn't it? Yeah, and uh, look, I agree with you about uh, the sense that whatever happens this season, obviously there's some scenarios in which this is not true, but mostly whatever happens this season, I think we'll have a more positive vibe about the team because, A, Oli is super positive all the time. He wants the team playing a bit more front foot forward. Uh, He wants a style of play that United can get behind, United fans can get behind. It's not parking the bus, it's just being good in the transition, the breakdown in play. Um, and uh, he wants it to be fun to watch again. And we will be inconsistent. Uh, us predicting somewhere between fourth and sixth means that United are not going to be brilliant every week. Uh, but uh, hopefully it's is much more enjoyable. I just want to not hate the team and the players, and I'm sure most uh, the team and the manager, the players and the team and the manager, all three, I just don't want to hate them, which I got to the point of at times last season. Um, and I'm sure a lot of fans would agree with that. Um, yeah. And I, I don't think we're going to hate them this season. No, I mean, you know, whatever flaws they have, you absolutely couldn't. Even if we'd lost 2-0 yesterday, you could not fault their endeavour. Like, they were up for it and trying their little hearts out, bless them. Um, and, you know, there's obviously a lot of a lot of fans that that's what they want to see. I want to see them trying their little hearts out and I want to see them trying outrageous flicks and tricks because that's the whole point of the the thing like what's the what's the point of (laughs) us like so yeah 
thank you for listening. Uh, Patreon backers, stay tuned for more content. We're going to talk about uh, European football. Um, you can get involved with that over at patreon.com slash rankcast if you want to. Um, and everyone else will see you next week. Um, thank you for listening. See you then. Bye now.